What is it about antimicrobial resistance? What are the societal and ethical implications of synthetic biology? How does scientific research work in real life? Welcome to AM Podcast. Hi and welcome to AM Podcast. My name's Kira and in this very first episode I'd love to introduce our project and of course the team. We're from Tübingen, Germany and taking part in the iGym competition. This stands for International Genetically Engineered Machine and well, focuses on exactly that, synthetic biology. More importantly to us though, it revolves around real world issues and trying to solve local as well as worldwide problems through the application of synthetic biology. This podcast gives us the opportunity to talk about exactly those problems, about AMPs and synthetic biology in general, and reflect on the way we and other people working in the field are trying to solve real issues and what that implies. For now, though, I think I've talked enough. Let's welcome our guests, Adrian, Miriam and Eric. Would you guys maybe want to tell us a little bit about yourselves? Uh, hi, I'm Adrian. I'm uh, 24 years old. Um, I'm working on my uh, master's uh, at the moment. And um, yeah, uh, I'm interested in, in plant molecular and cellular biology and everything which comes with it. So it was kind of cool to, to hear about what project uh, iGEM Tubing started to work on this year. So it was quite interesting to get involved, uh, but more about it uh, later. Hi, I'm Miriam. I'm 22 years old. Uh, I study biochemistry. I'm now in my master's studies and I work mainly in the vet lab and project planning team here in iGEM and I'm very excited about our project. And also hello from me, I'm Eric, I'm studying biochemistry in the master in Tübingen uh, and I'm also participating in wet lab, um, project planning and some other sub-teams sub like uh, wiki and design. Thanks guys. Um, since Adrian has already begun uh, to talk a little bit about like his motivations, um, why are you or were you interested in the project or iGEM in general and um, yeah, what, what are you doing? Um, so I became interested in iGEM um, during my bachelor studies um, since um, what I think that is the great thing about iGEM that it offers the possibility to um, look into project planning. So um, how to plan a complete um, uh, project in the lab uh, on all levels, like what do you have to submit to work in the lab? Um, where can you um, order stuff um, and how do you, yeah. How, how do you work in the lab and as a team also. Um, and yeah, I'm, what I'm most excited about our project is um, that it's also for me really a, a novel topic uh, working with um, peptides. I think we'll talk about this in detail later on um, and working with uh, cyclic proteins. That's something that I haven't done before. Yeah, I totally agree with Eric. So in our biochemistry studies, we spend a lot of time in the lab and we also do like very interesting projects but now iGEM allows us to really plan a whole project by ourselves and really as a student's team where all of us are not really experienced in what we are doing we just sit together and we think about okay what do we have to do how can we do it what are we actually interested in how can we do it in the lab how do all of the things work and yeah there are of course many challenges uh, but it's 
yeah, it's it's very great to really learn all those things in such a great team. I couldn't say it better myself. Um, and my, my experience with it is basically the same as you both mentioned. I mean, I already during doing bachelors, I did um, also some, some work in the lab, which was not related to my studies, but I, I worked there as an assistant. And so to gain a, a bit of experience there, but it's always been like this um, practical part of, of lab work. So, so that you uh, exercise more how to uh, do certain stuff and automate some, some processes which you do over and over and over again, but you never get to that point where you are actually able to think a lot about how to um, prepare these experiments which you're doing and why are you doing these experiments not some other ones and how to build up the whole uh, argumentation around your project so that in the end uh, you have some some result which you can really um, argue for really well because you did all the experiments which you needed to and you have all the data you needed to and also, I mean, like just just gaining the experience with like how much planning there is, and before you're actually able to do anything. I mean, like you do uh, a lot of work in the lab, but I've never could imagine like how much there needs to be done, even before that. So, um, in this regard, I think it's very unique and interesting experience. And yeah, I, I hope we'll all learn something new in the end. Yeah, I think um, especially with the prep work and working on your own, iGEM is a very like good source for experience. Um, which project are you guys doing this year? And uh, because you said you were you were interested in working with uh, cyclic peptides, was that uh, like your plan all along, or how did you arrive on on the idea? So you already mentioned that iGEM is about solving real world problems. And the problem we picked is the problem which was like the starting point for all our reading and research is the problem of uh, antibiotic resistance, which is one of the biggest threats to global health and also leads to an increased mortality. So nowadays, antibiotic resistance is already the second largest uh, cause of death in the world. So it's really large problem. So the problem is that nowadays, if you have a bacterial infection, we normally treat it with antibiotics, but bacteria can develop resistance against these antibiotics, and they can also exchange these resistance genes among each other. And yeah, therefore, there are these multi-resistance uh, strains, which are yeah, grow with an increased number and also mainly caused by misuse and overuse of antibiotics in medicine, but also in agriculture. So the World Health Organization states that without urgent action, we are heading for a post-antibiotic era in which common infections and minor injuries can once again kill. And this is, of course, a worldwide problem. It's a very huge problem. And of course, it's a social problem with misuse of antibiotics. But we thought, okay, how can synthetic biology actually do something about it? And the point is that all living organisms are threatened by microorganisms. And of course, they have mechanisms for protection. So most cells produce uh, natural antibiotic-like molecules. And that's where these antimicrobial peptides came into play. So 
and piece of a small peptides uh, which have a broad spectrum of antibacterial and immunomodulatory activities against infectious bacteria, viruses, and fungi. And their working mechanism also differs between the different AMPs, but most of them interact with the bacterial membrane, and therefore they are making it very difficult for the bacteria to develop resistance. So it's AMPs are really like a new generation of uh, antibiotics. And yeah, therefore we got very interested and we really looked into them. And yeah, there's, there's so many different AMPs and most of them are found in animals. So alone on skin frog, which is a number which really surprised me on the skin of frogs, more than 300 different AMPs are found. So there's like this really large spectrum and it's very interesting. And yeah, we looked at the different sources and we found that plants also produce AMPs. And that we found very interesting because plants are not so well researched as animals or bacteria. And the class of AMPs in plants we found most interesting are cyclotides, which as you already mentioned, these cyclic peptides. And they have the advantage that they are very stable because some AMPs have the problem that they can be degraded very fast and therefore it's difficult to use them in medicine. And cyclotides are like ultra stable, so they can't hardly be, be destroyed by anything. If we thought, okay, that's cool. That's also cool for us as a student's team because we are like, okay, working in the lab, we are not that experienced, but now we have this super stable peptides and we can do anything with them and they will still survive and everything will be fine. And yeah, we, we thought about our project and we thought, okay, there are so many different um, cyclotides and not all of them have antibacterial uh, activity. And the, the structure of these cyclotides, if you look at the sequence, is always very similar. So we thought, okay, maybe we can find uh, new, new cyclotides by simply looking at the structure of different plants. And yeah, this is called genome mining, which our dry lab team would do. And then we can build an expression platform uh, in which we express these peptides in plants and then test them for their antimicrobial uh, activity. And we wanted to really establish this, proper, uh, this platform where very fast in the lab, the bacterial, antibacterial activity of the peptides can be tested. So this was like our original project idea. And then we did more reading and we talked with more uh, experts about it. And then our strategy kind of adapted. Oh, how did it adapt? Well, the, the issue which we encountered was that um, quite often in these uh, cyclic peptides, um, the antimicrobial activity correlated with their uh, hemolytic effects. So basically, uh, meaning that they possess toxic activity for um, for us humans, so it couldn't be really used in a therapeutic way. Um, which is when when one thinks about it, kind of it kind of makes sense because these peptides, as already mentioned, um, attack the bacteria by dissolving the membrane and poking holes into it, and they don't really differentiate between the different membranes, so whether it's a mammalian membrane or if it's a membrane of a um, microorganism cell, uh, they just basically 
do the, the flight, flight bombarding approach, destroy everything which is in their way. So if you put this into, um, for example, human, it, it could be rather an unpleasant experience. I mean, has been some interesting um, research papers which uh, looked into these therapeutical possibilities and there had been mentionings like, uh, well, we, we saw that it helps with, with cancer. However, like the, the actual problem with this is that even though they were right, yeah, it, it was killing cancer cells. They only tested this in tissue cultures. And of course, I mean, these were cells, they do have membranes. So membranes got dissolved, the cell died. Or if you try this in fully living human organism, yeah, well, you probably get this effect on all of the different tissue types. So it wouldn't be that good. And this got us thinking whether it would be completely safe to, to work with these um, with these peptides in the lab, mainly uh, due to the safety concerns in our um, cloning uh, mechanism, which we wanted to employ because um, what would you usually use to, to produce um, the product that you want to have in the end, uh, you, you employ E. coli uh, cells. And the problem with E. coli is that these are natural uh, human pathogens. So, I mean, they are part of our natural, uh, natural um, uh, microbiome in, in our intestines. And they stay there and don't usually do any problems whatsoever. However, they occasionally in certain conditions can infect the, the organism and cause a lot of trouble. And from because, because of this reason, they usually are uh, handled uh, by S2 standards. So there are like these four different uh, lab safety standards. And we only have the, the, the first one we, where we, work, we can work. And these belong to the second one. Or like there are different strains which are genetically modified so that they could be used in the first of these standards. Um, however, we got thinking about it and um, there has been some, some um, let's say we, we weren't unsure that if we expressed these, these peptides in E. coli, which could happen, like the way which we um, created the cloning system, it shouldn't because we use regulatory um, elements which are plant specific. However, one never knows and suddenly you have this expression of a very toxic um, protein and bacteria and this could cause problem and potentially maybe not belong into this safety standard anymore. So um, we got involved with several uh, people who are responsible for this, um, for such safety concerns at our university, talked uh, about it with them. And what in the end happened was that we potentially could do uh, this project, so it shouldn't be a particular problem. However, uh, in the meantime, while, while talking about it, we sort of came up with um, a slightly different idea where after a, a bit of talking and arguing, we figured out that maybe it might be a bit more interesting and this basically involves this um, uh, stability properties of, of cyclotides and um, how this could be used to enhance other, other peptides, which could be kind of interesting. Um, but I think Eric could tell you more about this in more detail. 
Yeah, uh, maybe before uh, we talk about that and um, where the project is at now, um, I would like to ask the question if you um, cha mainly changed it up because um, you were concerned, like what, what, what were your concerns with working um, on like an S2 type of like strain or um, why would you like personally not feel comfortable with it? Actually, our concern was not, was not only about the lab work, but also about our project itself. Because if we now know, okay, especially for the cyclotides, the, the cyclotides we looked at, if they had antimicrobial activity, uh, most of them also had uh, hemolytic activity. And therefore, it was difficult for ourselves to, to see where our project is heading. Because if we say, okay, we want to test, we want to find new cyclotides, and we want to find new antibacterial cyclotides. But we already know, okay, most likely they'll be hemolytic. Then it's, it's yeah, for ourselves, it was difficult to argue about the uh, application of these uh, peptides we're gonna find because they can't be used as these new antibiotics if they're gonna kill uh, the host cells too. And therefore it was not, all, so the, the change in our project was not only out of the practical reasons of working with maybe hemolytic mater material, but it was also the change in, okay, now, now, yeah, we got more information and we thought that this new direction of our project is like more helpful now and it addresses a more interesting question. Mm -hmm. um, so you already said uh, Eric was, the guy to talk to about that. So um, yeah, where is the project at now? Yeah, so probably coming back um, to the, the topic of an, um, antimicrobial peptides, AMPs. Um, so there are indeed um, some AMPs that um, are also developed um, at the moment as therapeutics. Um, one example that I maybe could mention is um, a catalysidine called uh, LL37. This is actually a human antimicrobial peptide. And this is a peptide that uh, also disrupt, disrupts uh, cell membranes, but it's quite specific towards uh, bacterial membranes. So for example, if we're taking this AMP here, this is really a nice um, candidate probably for a, um, a drug coming up in the next uh, years, but uh, it's a peptide. And the problem with these peptides is that they are really uh, really, really not stable, especially at um, higher temperatures or in the in the serum in the in the blood uh, stream of humans. Um, so, for example, these peptides they most infections so they are folded in some way, <laughs> and this fold can um, be disrupted by by certain conditions like a change in pH value or a change in temperature. And also, um, these peptides are built out of um, building blocks that can be um, cleaved off by certain enzymes also in uh, occurring in the body. So um, this is really an issue with these antimicrobial peptides that um, if you want to use them as a drug, maybe also as a drug that you can apply orally, um, you, this drug has to survive until it gets um, to the point in your body where it should um, be effective. Um, and um, this is really something that um, our project focuses on right now. So um, the nice thing about these cyclotides that also Mia and Adrian mentioned before is that they have a um, very compact and cyclic structure called a cyclic cysteine knot uh, motif structure. 
Um, and um, it has been shown before that um, you can do something called grafting. Uh, grafting this in this case means that um, the cyclotide has um, six uh, regions called loops uh, and you can re replace the um, amino acid sequence in these loops um, with a peptide of your of interest. Um, and uh, this peptide then, um, if you do it right or if you're lucky, uh, will still um, maintain its bioactivity. So for example, one, one example that um, was done was um, an, an epitope tag, so a peptide was grafted into a cyclotide uh, which um, promotes angiogenesis, so the formation of blood vessels in the body. Um, and um, the advantage is now that you're kind of combining these, this bioactivity of this peptide grafted uh, together with the stability of the cyclotide. So this peptide is um, inserted into this uh, um, yeah, very, st very stable structure of the cyclotide. Um, and therefore um, can, have, yeah, has a, has a um, better application as a therapeutic, uh, as a drug. Um, and uh, regarding, again, the problem that we talked about, um, the problem of um, hemolytic or cytotoxic activity of cyclotides, um, in this case, um, a cyclotide can be used um, as a scaffold where you can graft in your peptide that uh, doesn't have any um, uh, any activity towards membranes. So um, in this case, the cyclotide is really only um, meant to be a, um, yeah, a, a scaffold and uh, shouldn't have any activity itself. Um, yeah, and um, right now we're at the point that we're um, looking for looking for AMPs, antimicrobial peptides that might be um, possible. So from their sequence, from their structure to graft into a cyclotide. Um, and um, this is where we're trying to head. So um, we want to use our plant expression um, system that we, um, yeah, that we planned uh, quite a while ago now um, to express um, such um, cyclotides in which um, AMPs are inserted. Um, if you insert uh, your AMP into a cyclotide, like how closely can you specify that, um, like towards a certain certain bacteria or a, a virus? Maybe would that work, or is that out of the question? So you can't uh, really specify towards a certain um, species of bacteria. So um, most of the AMPs um, that uh, work or that have activity against bacteria are either active against um, gram-positive and gram-negative bacteria or only, I, th I think there are some that are only active against gram-positive bacteria. Um, so this is really, I think this is really the closest that you can um, get a specific, specific um, activity. Um, so yeah, this is also something that's um, of course yeah, would, would be um, desirable to have a uh, compound that's, for example, if you're uh, suffering from bladder infection, bladder inflammation, um, then um, of course you're, you would like to take a, a drug that's really, um, that kills the bacteria that, that causing, uh, causing the inflammation in your bladder. And you don't want to kill um, all your gut microbiome and all the other bacteria in your body. But um, so, as it seems like right now, um, this is not something that um, these antimicrobial peptides are really um, the right class of compounds to go for. So they really have a general um, general activity against bacteria. 
Um, but um, there are, as, as I mentioned before, there are um, at least there are intermittent microbial peptides that are really active against bacteria and not against um, your own human cells. If they're um, again like active against uh, all kinds of bacteria, then what makes them like a superior product um, in comparison to like normal antibiotics? So I think there are different dim dimensions to this. Um, so um, a few advantages that, that I could think about right now. Um, so one thing is that um, regarding the technical aspect, um, they are peptides. So um, they can be um, produced with a system like we are using. So they can be synthesized by plant cells, for example, um, quite easily um, because they are made of the same, out of minor acids, out of the same building blocks as all the proteins the plant produces. Um, and then also regarding um, the occur occurrence of resistances. So there are also um, uh, resistances um, that can occur against um, antimicrobial peptides in bacteria, but um, this is something that, um, so at least also in, for example, in vivo, this is something that uh, doesn't occur as easily or as fast as, for example, resistances against um, classical antibiotics like penicillin or so. Um, I'm not sure if I'd talk about them as a superior uh, compound. It's rather something which um, it tries to solve the problem from a different different direction, you could say. Um, because with uh, these antimicrobial resistances in, in general, um, the thing is that the bacterial um, genetic information isn't big enough to store the resistance for all the types of compounds which can cause uh, some problems to them. And then you could, um, if they become, for example, immune towards most of the classes on antibiotics, which we have, then you could uh, put the antimicrobial peptides onto them. And then again, if too much resistance builds onto this, you could put the um, antibiotics on them again. Like another um, possibility, which is now being consider and talk about quite a bit are using like different bacteriophages, which are viruses, which attack the bacteria themselves very specifically, uh, where this kind of principle where um, the, the ability of bacteria to protect themselves from either one or the second one um, can change uh, based on this, this treatment, so to say. So I personally, I I'd see it as a like an additional tactic to, to, to fight off uh, bacterial infections, uh, but not as something which would um, annihilate uh, antibiotics completely. It's more or less like um, additional approach, so to say. So if it's uh, an additional approach, but basically does the same, um, what like could there arise the same problems that we are like, like that we've already had with antibiotics like them getting into the groundwater um and like all, all kinds of things like that um just with amps then yeah i mean i already mentioned in the beginning that the problem of antimicrobial resistance is also a social problem and the point is we really have to change the way we use antibiotics now in in medicine. So like, uh, yeah, sometimes we really get antibiotics when it's not 
always necessary and yeah also generally in in the hospital to somehow spread that this resistant strains can stay there for longer times and then also give their resistance genes to uh, other strains and a large problem is also this agriculture so that some antibiotics which are not so which are only allowed to use uh, at humans as the last uh, possibility of the uh, because the bacterium is uh, already resistant against all of the other antibiotics, really a uh, last line defense antibiotics are used in agriculture very commonly. So you have these huge, huge amounts of animals which are treated with these uh, antibiotics like all the time. And this is a huge problem because yeah, I think nowadays we all know that some resistant genes and pathogens, yeah, there's exchange between animals and uh, humans and therefore it's it's really a long-term social problem which has to be solved but nowadays people are dying because of this problem and this is kind of a more short-term approach to solve this problem and of course it won't solve the problem for, for yeah the rest of all times or anything but it's something that synthetic biology can do now and therefore I think it's an important topic. So one could basically say there is no magical pill that will eradicate this problem. Yeah, as, as mentioned, we have to try to approach it from um, many different angles. I mean, there's only that much which biology uh, can do. And um, I mean, social aspect is also something which plays a role. And um, I guess science communication would be one thing which could maybe help with this. Um, Maybe some some changes need to be done in an uh, legislature of some 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 states or um, uh, different different legislature bodies uh, to to prevent this from happening. But um, yeah, it's it's a complicated problem which probably won't be solved overnight. Put it that way. <laughs> probably not. Um, but I mean, as Miriam has already stated, it's kind of. It is a short-term solution, but at least it is a solution. Um, so would you three consider yourselves like doing something that's actually helping, like helping helping the world is all, always like kind of overstated statement, but um, yeah, doing something good. I don't think, uh, well, I'm not, not sure to, to what an extent is this to the, the way how how science works so it's it's something how i used to imagine science to work when i was back in school uh but um yeah i was kind of kind of being a bit naive so i feel like scientists are like all these people who know what they're doing all the time and like every every day in the lab it's like having hundreds of these heroica moments like yeah we figure it out and then, fighting off the whole bad things happening in the world like infections and disease and agricultural problems whatever you name it but um and then i actually started to work in lab and yeah found out that it's most like everything you touch doesn't work and it's kind of frustrating and basically do this one small step and somebody else does another small step and another group at another part of the world does another small step and once you over like 10, 15 years at all these small steps together that at, at this point you can say, yeah, we are actually doing and changing something. But so 
Yeah, from, from, from a long-term perspective, if you being active in such a field, I guess the answer is yes. From a short-term perspective, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of kind of complicated. So, so I don't really don't don't really agree with Adrian. So I, I think that also in the short term we're definitely doing something good because all these small steps are necessary. There is no other way to achieve something like this. That's true. Um, yeah. So I, I, I definitely think we are doing something good here. Um, I mean, uh, yeah. So so um, I think there would be a ton of other project ideas that would be cool or. Uh, nice to nice to do but uh, that would really have less um, value for for solving a real life problem I mean. yeah i think the point is that we have to be happy with these small steps i mean we can't expect that after our item project we really have now a very stable specific uh, antimicrobial peptide but yeah research is always connected to failure and mm -hmm. even if we now only find out okay somehow our system doesn't work and we had this great plan but it simply didn't work out we, it, yeah if even if you only find out okay it doesn't work like we expected it it's also a small step into this direction because then other people know okay this doesn't work what can we change in this project and therefore it's like a very small step but yeah maybe in the right direction well on that note <laughs> Um, thank you so much for being here. It was very interesting talking to you. Yeah, it, it, it was nice to nice being here. Uh, thanks for having us. Thanks a lot. Bye. The advantage is now that you're kind of combining these, this bioactivity of this peptide grafted uh, together with the stability of the cyclotype. So I could basically say there is no magical pill that will eradicate this problem. It's like a very small step, but yeah, maybe in the right direction.